Welcome to Look-See, the podcast for the art curious in Richmond and beyond. I'm Paige Goodpasture. The opportunity to visit an artist in his studio is a precious gift, and visiting the studio of fiber artist Michael Birch Pierce is a special kind of awesome. His studio in an old warehouse on Mayo Island in the middle of the falls of the James River in Virginia is a sensuous experience. Crystals and sequins sparkle from every surface, and sumptuous fur, velvet, and lace are piled in every corner. Michael Birch uses these materials in his work, using his background in fashion design to exquisitely craft sculptural pieces that challenge the viewer to think deeply about the identity that we wear. At the same time, Michael Birch recognizes the courage of vulnerability as a way to claim who we are and connect authentically with others. Michael Birch's lush and revealing work is a part of the current Costume and Textiles exhibition at the Valentine, Our Hearts on Our Sleeves. The brilliant Kristen Stewart, curator of the show, joined me in his studio for a joyful conversation about art. I am here in Michael Birch Pierce's studio on Mayo Island in Richmond with Kristen Stewart costume and textiles curator at the Valentine and we are here to talk about your work Michael Birch and specifically about your work as it relates to the exhibition that's at the Valentine which is called Our Hearts on Our Sleeves and Kristen can you give this summary of the exhibition Sure. So Michael Birch Pierce's work is included in a gallery dedicated to the heart of Richmond's art community, works by artists who use either textile technologies or fashion and dress forms and references in their oeuvre and in their methodologies. The gallery itself is part of a larger exhibition devoted to an examination of Richmond's relationship with the art community, specifically, again, through the lens of costume and textiles. There are two things that I really focus on with this exhibition. One is the importance of the arts, and especially the visual arts in Richmond, as a part of its definition of itself, of its identity. And the other is the intersection between what we think of as the visual arts and costume and textiles. And your work, Michael Birch, is the definition of both of those things. (laughs) So (laughs) the importance of art in the community, identity is a huge part, a central part of your work. And also you use the techniques of haute couture fashion to create objects that are informed by costume and textiles and using the materials of those art forms, but that when you look at your current work, it's not a piece of clothing. But you teach in the fashion department at VCU, and, you know, clearly that's very much a part of your identity as a person Mm -hmm. and as an artist. So I wanted to start out by talking about the piece that is at the Valentine. Tell me a little bit about that piece, where it came from, when you created it, and what it means to you. 
Oh, wow. Okay, that's going to be a lot. So the piece that's in the Valentine is a piece called Control. It's a garment that is a self-portrait. It came from my thesis work at the Savannah College of Art and Design, where I was studying for an MFA in fibers. So I kind of took my experience in fashion and then instead started looking at textiles more so than the clothes themselves. All of the work in that show was meant to be garments that were portraits of the wearer that they were created for. I was very interested in the artificiality of fashion, the ostentatiousness and glamour and glitz. I was very interested in human identity and anthropology and ways that people use clothing to define themselves, to affect their emotions in a lot of ways in order to communicate with other people something that is very personal about the self. So I thought about how can I make clothing personal again? How can I make it something that all of this embellishment actually means something about who you are and and what you've experienced as a person? This one was my self-portrait. So Every bead and sequin was an icon and a symbol of a memory or moment or struggle, something very connected to my life that has made me the person that I am. And all of the imagery in the piece sort of connects back to a sense of control, whether or not it's a, a need to gain control or a need to lose control or not a need and it's just something that happens. So there's four different sets of imagery on the piece. I guess it starts with the leaves around the neck, all of the leaves, and then there's like a beaded bridge that kind of crosses across the chest on that piece. And that is representative of this image that I see in this world that I inhabit whenever I have a seizure because I've got epilepsy. And whenever I go into that world, whenever I fall out of consciousness, I have the same dream sequence every time. I'm running across rope bridges up in the trees in some forest somewhere. And then another one is there are these big bands of light that shoot across that are all like gold above the portrait on it. And so that is all based on my relationship with God and uh, how it's been, you know, kind of off and on, hot and cold my whole life growing up as a gay man in the South, trying to figure out where God's place was in my life. There are white cherry blossom flowers that are around the neck. Those are flowers from a tree that was planted in memory of my boyfriend who passed away when I was in college. It's just indicative of the entire relationship and memory and how he changed and affected my life and helped me love and taught me how to lose control completely when you know you have no control over what's happening to you. And then the other, the last pieces imagery are laser cut leather sequins that are the shape of Marlboro ultralight logos because those are the cigarettes that the man who raped me when I was 18 smoked. And that's what I remember. And for years, whenever I saw somebody smoking those cigarettes or saw that pack, it was like a PTSD trigger that would like take me right back. And so I thought about all these different images and icons and what what those little triggers are. What do you see? And immediately when you see it, you know, when I see a cherry blossom tree, I think about Charles. I think about that relationship, these things that bring me back very specifically to these memories. And so all of the garments in this entire series are all populated with these images, these little icons that take the wearer back exactly to where they were at some point in their life, but also draws an outsider in. So the person viewing you, consuming you, forming some relationship with you 
is seeing all of these completely raw moments in these icons, and that's going to draw them in. But then their relationship with you and that whole conversation that they have with you is predicated on exactly who you are as a person instead of, oh my God, I love that Kate Spade dress you're wearing. Tell me where you got it. Now they come and they're like, hey, I really love that top. What's that about? I'm like, oh, this is about that time I got raped in college. <laughs> you know. And so it's, it's facilitating honest interactions between people using a very shallow art form, using fashion that nobody takes seriously or or that is lost it's very deep meaning because it, it's all based in something important i mean it's it's there's a lot of layers i think in, in that work and i think whenever we you know whenever you have a conversation about fashion it's always in some way a conversation about identity and artifice I was going to say whether it's a constructed identity, but I think to an extent all of our identities are constructed because we sort of choose consciously or unconsciously yeah. what to make a part of ourselves and and what to it get really rid is. of. <laughs> this piece is a way of making that conscious. It's about really making yourself vulnerable. The whole show has had some element of identity and artifice to it. So this is something that you've been thinking about and building your work around since you did your MFA. So how are you incorporating that into your work now? I'm kind of taking a much more abstract look at this idea of portraiture and storytelling and identity that is in that thesis work. So the work turned into a study of surface and structure, a study of just the materiality of everything. And so I started to think about the artificiality of the materials that I'm using. It's not all like, I mean, I've got a bunch of Swarovski crystals and stuff in there, but a lot of it's like cheap resin plastic crystals, uh, a lot of like just beads and sequins and fabric that is straight from a drag queen's closet. Literally, I went to a drag queen's estate sale one time and bought a bunch of fabric and I've made art out of it. Taking things that are all about artifice, all about building a lie, creating a complete new costume or identity, and looking at the process that goes into applying it, because I'm also very obsessed with the actual textile embroidery processes. And so I'm looking at those as a way to create intimate moments with artificial objects. I really want to build a whole crazy world out of these rhinestones that when I'm looking at them, I'm thinking about them in the way that Frank Gehry would build a, a structure out of aluminum foil for a museum. You know, I think about the Guggenheim Bilbao. What would it be like if I was walking around inside these rhinestones? Like, what sort of like crazy structure can I build that's not able to be replicated by just somebody in a factory in Asia beating nonstop all day? For me, it's about elevating these artificial objects to very intimate moments. And so that's what the thesis work was about. 
And then the identity is still in there. I'm, I'm thinking about creating your artifice, creating your personality, whether or not it's artificial or whether or not it's real. Who we are and what our identity is has, has been carefully crafted through a whole lifetime of very intentional decisions about like who am I going to portray to other people around me and who am I going to be on my own and who, what am I going to allow to slip out every once in a while. And I think that for years I denied my place as a queer artist and as, a, as, as making gay art, making work that speaks to the gay experience. I think it's very, it's very pertinent to think about code switching and thinking about how gay can I be around these people or those people? What's going to get me killed? What's, gonna, what's totally fine for, you know, mixed company? Every day who I am to any person I meet, there's a decision. There's a list of decisions I have to go through before I know in the South whether or not I can express who I am as a person. And so these are these very careful decisions to create all of these different identities. And sometimes I dip them in paint and then I cover up that identity or I destroy something precious that I've created. But then there's this sense that when you're looking at it, it actually makes something more precious, you know? And you kind of see what, what once was and you see what's been destroyed and you'll never see again. And you kind of get to see those weird amalgamated surfaces. I've draped other fabric and fur over top of sequins that I've, I've beaded, done a whole ton of work and then covered it up. Yeah, now the fur stuff is happening where I'm thinking about these identities as actual creatures or as actual skins. Yeah, that this is flesh, that this is fur, that this is leather. This is an identity that once was. It's an identity that can be me or you or anyone. It's these weird identities I'm crafting. And sometimes you can see some of the sparkles peeking out but hidden beneath what's actually real, hidden beneath the fur, that it's buried deep in there. Some of it's pouring out of what's real, and it's completely fake what's pouring out. So there are two things that are coming to mind for me that I'd love for you to explore. The two things that I'm observing in the studio space that, to me, also relate to the work that's on view in the exhibition. Your work on surfaces screams at you in this space. In the galleries, I'd, I'd invite people to look at your piece, control, in relationship to the photograph, because I feel like you're building a connection between a garment that you put on your body and an image of you wearing that garment. The garment mm -hmm. is sheer and embellished. And so this exploration of the concept of an intentional skin is worth exploring alongside the carefully managed photographed image. So bearing that in mind, I'm looking around your space and I'm seeing a new direction you seem to be carrying your work, which is working with skins and antique frames. And when Paige and I arrived, we noticed that Michael Birch had found in his, and I'd like to point out that part of your brilliance is your ability to find materials, <laughs> you know, interesting materials to transform into other objects. And so you have this image, a photograph of a gentleman in an antique frame. And you mentioned that because he seems to be a person of color, you hesitated to take him out of the frame because it seems precious in its uniqueness and its in its rarity. And working with this image and working with these frames and framing skins themselves feels like in a way you're identifying your own conversation about 
controlled self-presentation in a much more direct way than you've mm-hmm. done in the past. I mean, there's something in the beading and embroidery that is, I mean, obviously the beading and embroidery is beautiful and incredible. And for me, the sort of glory of that work has more to do with process. The process is is clearly evident, but these framed skins feel like they are an arrow pointing at the point of view. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, thank. I mean, thank you. Uh, I mean, I mean, it sounds. It sounds like that. It's like now I'm hitting on exactly what I'm trying to say. I think it's a different conversation. conversation, I think that. I think there's something of the craftsman in the embroidery. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned sort of sculpture and architecture when you were discussing those. I feel that they better reflect on your intellectual artistic mind, problem-solving artistic mind, engineering artistic mind, whereas the skin behind the frame is a more direct and therefore poetic statement. It's forcing and, and also allowing me to break away from a bit of the perfection that I can obsess over in the other pieces mm-hmm. and allow myself to be informed a bit more by the material and just let go and go crazy. I'm going to try to describe this. It is an antique mirror, a pretty large one, with an antique frame attached to the center of it that is framing a skin that is embroidered and embellished, and then the embellishments are spilling out of the center frame onto the mirror. And really, I think if you could figure out a way to make it happen, they probably would be going off of the mirror. I think think it needs like a a couple strands of beads kind of pouring off a little bit. I also really liked the tension where you can see it start to pull up at the bottom, where it's about to to fall over and it's not quite, like it's still contained a bit. But then the outer frame is also crumbling. You see all the plasters missing in a lot of different places. The frame is falling apart, but the frame in the center is perfect. Dilapidated grandeur. It's like when you when you take something to the extreme Baroque, it can't help but eat itself, right? Yeah. And so that, that's what I like about this piece is that the outer ring of it, the last barrier to stop you from getting out into the world is falling apart and you're starting to see all these lines blurred. At first, this piece was kind of a self-portrait where I was thinking about this is the fur, this is the flesh that is me and what's coming out of it. And then this is how you see you in me in the mirror around it and how, where does that line get blurred? And then where do the people behind you in the exhibition start seeing themselves in the mirror and you seeing them while you're just trying to have one moment with this piece? And what, where does all the, that, identity get blurred together and who I am for you and who you are for me and all of these different sort of senses of, of this artifice that we build that doesn't exist, that's just a net, you know? And so one of the things that you have done after you've created this piece is you've experimented with how to photograph it, both mm-hmm. as trying to document as an artist this piece that you've created, but also you were just speaking about the ways in which you kind of envisioned the reflective quality of it being a part of the piece, whether it was a self-portrait or an interaction with others. And so can you talk about that a little bit more? I mean, you did, you have experimented with photographing it in different ways, including including yourself in the photographs. Mm -hmm. Where has that taken you? I hadn't thought about where I belonged in the mirror. 
So I took it to an empty studio down the hall and just hung it on a white wall with more white walls behind it. And I was having to do it from an angle. And I was having to photograph the piece not head on because if it was head on, I would be in it. But I was gonna have to be in the piece if I wanted it head on. And so I got some good shots at an angle and I, I looked at it head on and I was like, okay, well now all of my research, everything I've ever done is about how the clothes that you have on you define who you are. And I was like, the clothes I'm wearing are, are completely muddying the context and it'll completely change the entire meaning of the piece depending on what I'm wearing. So <laughs> I just stripped naked in the studio and I just photographed myself standing in with different parts of my body occluded by that central frame with the fur in it. And so then I stood off to the side and I was like, okay, what if part of me showing? What if all of me showing? Then it really does become about this sense of portraiture. And, you know, there's not a single image of a face in the piece actually, but you know, what happens when you're in it behind the mirror? And then does that help you contextualize and see the fur as a portrait the way I want you to? And I don't know, I think that my, my work's always been about the body because I, I started in fashion design. It's artwork, it's sculpture, but it's very specifically about a human naked form and covering that. In my thesis work, in that work in control that's at the Valentine, I'm wearing just a sheer top with a bunch of embroidery on it. Everything that's added to it, all of the artifice is just me, is what I was thinking. I was like, this is the most honest inner part of myself, putting it on the outer part of me. I don't want to cover up the rest. So every piece is sheer, so that the only thing between you and the person wearing it is just more of that person. All of their insides on their outsides, and you could see all of their outsides, they're completely exposed and raw. And so that's what I'm kind of thinking about. I've got a bunch of other pieces, even with the rhinestones and stuff that have nude figures in them too. I'm not making clothes anymore. I'm not that interested in the construction of garments as much as I am in the construction of the, the textile. But I'm embroidering these figures of, of these naked, fully exposed people in very strong, but also very vulnerable poses. Even if there's not a body in it, it's all very bodily. Everything is very much about exposure of self, and I guess there's no way to convey that much better than just nudity. That's when you're just as vulnerable as possible, you know? And I'm looking at this beautiful, beautiful, very large piece that you have on the wall that is what you were just describing, a man, a nude man, in a very vulnerable position. It looks very classical to me. It's almost like Greek or Roman or, you know, it's the way that, that his his posture and then what, you know, he has his hand on his head covering his face in a way that's kind of despairing or at least that's how I see it. His hands look very Michelangelo-esque. <laughs> it's really very beautiful and very vulnerable. And I think that's what speaks to a lot of people in your work, even the, the pieces that are heavily embroidered and embellished. There's a vulnerability in them, an exposure that is inspiring and scary and, and just all of that, all at once. It's just really beautiful, Thank exquisitely you. beautiful Thank and, you. and um, deep and moving and scary. And <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah. A lot of it is kind of scary for me, you know, like, what am I diving into when I'm doing this? The work is very meditative, you know, I'll sit and work for 15 hours a day embroidering something. It's very personal. I've got two pieces that are about to be in a show that's called Memento Mori, and so these pieces are very specifically about the deaths of specific people. 
I just made this new piece that's made with my grandmother's lace that she tatted 50 years ago. So I, I stitched a huge explosion of rhinestones and crystals and this totally artificial thing, whatever this identity that I created. And then in my effort to conceal it, I concealed it with the lace. And so then the lace kind of lays over top of it. And then I'm obscuring the sparkles, but then having the lace and then covering the lace with more rhinestones and creating all these different layers to like look through. And so that's very specifically about my grandmother. And that piece is called Remember Whose You Are. Because that's what she used to always say when you're going out. She's like, you remember whose you are. Not just who you are, but who you belong to and where you come from. So it's cool to think about, you know, this textile practice of mine and where I come from, whose I am. And then there's another piece where there's 49 little clusters of identical rhinestones and sequins and beads. And I embroidered that on the one-year anniversary of the Pulse Massacre. And so every single cluster, while I embroidered it, I was reading the bios of each of the victims. And throughout the day, just meditated on that person for as long as it took me to embroider that cluster and then moved on to another one. It took the entire day to do it, just to focus on something and to use that sort of practice as memory. And you mentioned something similar to that about in the process of creating your thesis piece that each one of the sequins that are included in that piece represent an individual, Mm -hmm. unique memory. So I was just thinking about the intentionality of that and then like picking up this one tiny bead or sequin and thinking, what is this going to be? You know, what what memory is this going to be? What comes to my mind? And I'm going to focus on that or meditate on that or be intentionally kind of in that moment while I'm putting this piece on this garment. I try to make sure that when I'm stitching, I'm not just going through the motions and just, okay, I've got to like fill the section with green. Let me just kind of like stitch green things until it's filled, which is what I did when I was designing textiles. And I was, you know, it was just something that was going to look really pretty on a top for the company I worked for. You know, I want every single bead to feel like an intentional decision to make sure I'm not just putting it somewhere where it'll look cool, but it's as carefully crafted as the identity that I've crafted, or it's as thoughtful as the memory that I'm ruminating on in the moment that I'm doing it. Well, Michael Birch, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about your incredible work and your piece at the Valentine. Thank you both very much. This was great. Good to be in your space. Thank Thank you you. for having us here. Always fun to have you. To learn more about the art and artists in Richmond and beyond, go to our website, look-c.co. There you can find more podcasts, videos, and articles focusing on our vibrant visual arts community, as well as a calendar highlighting a range of arts events in Central Virginia. I'm Paige Goodpasture, and thanks for listening to Look See.